There's a game show on our TVs called Would I Lie to You? It involves one team telling stories or tales and the other team trying to work out if it's true or not. So we're going to start today's sermon a little bit differently. I'm going to tell you three facts about myself and I want you to try and guess which one of them is true. Okay? First... I once auditioned for a role in an Oscar-winning film. Second, I once played a sport representing my country. Third, I once played, performed as part of an orchestra at the Royal Albert Hall in London. Okay. Hands up if you think option number one, auditioning for an Oscar-winning film, is true. Okay. Hands up if you think number two, that I uh, played sport representing my country. A few more. Third, if you think I played as part of an orchestra at the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, there was a, mi- a split vote there. For those guys that have got a copy of the sermon, I de- didn't put the answer in for you, I'm sorry. I thought that would be cheating. You can ask me afterwards which of those is true. <laughs> But fair to say, whichever it was, I massively oversold what actually happened. (laughs) But the truth is important, isn't it? And that's definitely true when it comes to faith. If our faith is not true and real, then it's worthless. The, The Bible tells us that the object of our faith, who we put our faith in, that is Jesus. But if he didn't rise from the dead, like the Bible claims, then our faith is worthless useless we are to be pitied more than any other people but what or maybe better to ask is how can we know whether our faith is genuine it's one thing to ask about whether the object of our faith is true whether the bible is true but is our faith true is it genuine in the film catch me if you can Leonardo DiCaprio plays a real-life con man who, amongst his various schemes, poses as an aeroplane pilot. If, whilst he was posing as a pilot on a plane, sat in the cockpit, if the plane had got into difficulty and they'd have actually turned to him to see if he could have flown the plane, there would have been a massive issue. It would have been disastrous. Because he had the uniform, and he talked the talk, but he didn't have the skill. He was a fraud. James wants Christians, the person writing this letter in this part of the Bible, writing to Christians, to the church, he wants them, he wants us to have genuine faith. True faith, not fraudulent faith. Faith that is real and faith that works. Before we dive into our passage, let's just for a second think about what faith is. Let's get a definition. Um, what, What are we talking about when we use the word faith? Faith can in some ways be claimed by ticking a box, can't it? On your census. What faith are you? I'm a Christian, I'm a Buddhist, I'm a Hindu, whatever. I'm a Jedi Knight. I think some people still take that one. 
Faith can be something that we profess through saying the words of a creed. This is what I believe. Or faith can be something that is done. This is what we do. I have a faith because of X, Y or Z through prayers or pillars or practicalities. When James talks about faith here, he's talking about a faith that speaks out, a professing faith. And specifically a faith that says, I believe in Jesus. I trust in Jesus. There's an author called Warren Wiersbe. He's got this definition. He says, faith is confidence that God's word is true and conviction that acting upon that word will bring his blessing." Confidence and conviction. True faith is inwards and outwards. So let's dive into our passage and see firstly a warning about faith. Beware a faith that deceives. James opens this bit in chapter in verse 14 with a question. Can a faith with no deeds save a person and really it's the central question of this entire book can a faith with no deeds save a person and notice who James is aiming this question at he is asking it of the church my brothers and sisters can a faith with no deeds save a person What does that mean? Well, James is going to give us an example. Look down at verses 15 and 16. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Now, given the current economic climate, it's not hard for us to imagine that someone in our church could easily find themselves in that situation. They could lose their job. They could lose their home. They could have not enough money for food or for warm clothing. They are shivering. Their stomach is growling. Their skin is showing the signs of effects of of malnutrition. And up comes a well-meaning well-spoken church member who offers some kind words. Go in peace. Keep warm. Keep well fed. And then they walk out of the door into the car park, jump in their car and go home. One commentator says they think their words are as good as works and they are wrong. It's not hard to imagine the scenario that James paints. And so James asks again, what good is it? And he's trying to draw out the answer from us. It's no good. This is dead faith. You can say all the nice words you want about what you believe, about what you hold to, But if that's what it looks like practically played out, it is dead. To see need and offer nothing. To see poverty and offer platitudes. Dead faith. We said at the start of this series that James is pretty blunt. And he's 
at it once again here. But James is not done. Look down at verse 18. But someone will say, I, I like this, it feels very real. James could, could be here recounting a real situation. Maybe he's thinking of specifically somebody he's spoken to, or maybe it's the, the literary device. Somebody. But either way, we can imagine, can't we, somebody responding like this? Someone will say, you have faith, I have faith deeds it's almost as this though this person is sat round at a table full of religious people and says hey here we are we're all different we've all got strengths and weaknesses here's sue on my left she's the kindness lady she's just she's always so kind there's bob bob's the practical help guy great if you've you know got problems with your trees in your garden um oh there's tina tina's great at hospitality she's always having people around and I'm, I'm Dave, I'm Doctrine Dave. I'm the faith guy. I'm, I'm the backseat guy. I'm the Bible guy. I can explain to you what all those big words mean about God. And I've not just read Leviticus and Deuteronomy. I know what they're on about. I'm the Bible guy. I've got faith. You've got deeds. And I'm not really a people person. You can imagine him saying that. Don't really want to get like, involved in the, the sort of practicalities. What would James say to that person? Well, he tells us. He says, let's sit down, you and I, Dr. and Dave, and let's compare our faiths. Yours without deeds. So your words versus my deeds my faith shown by my deeds but but Dr. and Dave whilst you're getting yourself comfortable and preparing your presentation as we go to to chat about this let me just know another group who believe the right things look down at verse 19 you believe there is one God good good when James says here that they believe that there is one God, he's, bringing, he's reaching back into the Jewish roots of these Christians that he's writing to. And he's going back to a much-loved and well-known part of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here's what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with your, all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. The Lord our God, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is a group of people, James says, who believe that, who know it. When he quotes this, it's almost as though James is saying it's the equivalent of talking about Liverpool fans. Maybe you were watching the football last night. And when they sing, you'll never walk alone. Okay? This is the Jewish equivalent. This is our anthem of belonging for, for a Jew. This is our core truth about who they were. And many Jews would recite this daily. But listen to the mic drop response of James. There's another group. Listen, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. 
previously asked the question, what good is it to declare about dead faith? Now here he commends Doctrine Dave and says, it's good that you believe that so that he might expose what we might call demonic faith. Knowing all the truths about God and it not bringing you any closer. In fact, knowing truths and making you hate and fear God. Having the right truths about God is not enough. Intellectually affirming them even, even defending them is not enough. The demons knew who Jesus was. And instead of obeying him, they opposed him. Head knowledge is not enough. Brothers and sisters, beware this sort of faith that knows much and does little. How do we know if that's us? That's one of the questions to ask, isn't it? As James exposes these false faiths. Well, the first indicator will be your conscience. Even as you've read this example that James gives, maybe you've come to mind times where you have seen a need and walked on by. But the second thing to do would be to ask other people. Ask the people around you. The guys I play rugby with will fairly frequently make comments like this. They'll say, don't say that in front of Keeney. Or even, you're not allowed to do that, are you? There's an awareness with the guys that I play rugby with that, that there should be a certain way of living, a certain standard of works and actions and words that accompany a profession of faith in Jesus. And so they know that on some level I ought to be different. And they would be able to tell you when I'm not. What would your unbelieving friends and neighbours say of your life? Would they say, she says this, but she does this. He says he believes, but I'm not sure. What would other people say? Would they say that your walk matches your talk? Now ultimately, it doesn't matter what other people say, it's what God knows and says about our lives that matters but James is prodding us here and he's asking where is the evidence in your life of what you believe and I call this point don't be deceived because again it's so easy to be fooled isn't it it's so easy to to meet a certain standard or to act a certain way or to use certain types of words And to be fooled by others or to fool others. And it's so easy to deceive ourselves. I'm okay because because I go to a certain type of church or we sing a certain type of song. Don't be deceived that words are enough, James says to us. They are not. Instead, we should pursue a faith that achieves. This is our second point. We're going to dip into the second half of this section from verse 20. With warnings about dead faith and demonic faith ringing in our ears, here's the question, what does good faith look like? 
What does true faith, working faith, look like? And James is going to give his audience, whoever they were, and us two wonderful examples in Abraham and Rahab. But before we get there, we're just going to pause and acknowledge the theological elephant in the room. If you've been around church, if you've been around our church for any length of time, you may read this section and think, this feels a little different, a little strange. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. How do we come to know Jesus? How are we made right with God? It's this big question that the church is trying to present the answer to, to ourselves and to the world. How can we be made right with God? Is it through what we do? Or is it through Jesus? Or is it some combination of both? Now, this, that's not the question that James is answering here in this chapter. But we need to understand the answer before we go any further so we don't get confused. And Claire touched upon this, even as she was talking about the, the, the memory verse. How can a good God ever accept a human? A sinful man or woman, boy or girl. Because not one of us is good enough to be accepted by God. And not one of us can come in with some sort of arrangement where Jesus takes some of the load and we, we give a little bit too. We're not good enough to even take up 50%? No. 20%? No. We're not good enough to take up 1% of what it would take to stand rightly before God. How can God ever accept somebody like me because of and only in Jesus is the Bible's clear answer. That's why Jesus came, because people cannot save themselves. We cannot work ourselves right with God. That's why the gospel is such good news, for it relies not one iota, not one jot on you and your strength, on you and your will, on you and your goodness. It doesn't rely on it at all. It relies wholly and completely on Jesus. God has made a way for people to be right with him, brought back into relationship with him, and Jesus has done it all. The centre and true and object of true faith is Jesus in his life and death and resurrection. His perfect law-fulfilling life. In every way and at every time, Jesus perfectly pleased God. He always did what was right. In his death, his sin-bearing, sacrificial death on behalf of those who have sinned. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus taking on himself our wrongdoing, the punishment for all that we have done wrong against God, all that we have thought and said and done, 
In every way we have turned our back on God and his goodness and his rules and his laws. And we said no. And we're born that way. In Jesus, in his resurrection, having taken the punishment for our sin, rising to new life, bringing with him all who trust in him. Jesus has done it all. We are saved by faith in him. In the words of Romans, a righteousness from God has been revealed that is by faith from first to last. We can only be made right with God by trusting in Jesus. Not by anything we do. Not 1% is down to us. And this was the, the truth, one of the truths that in the Reformation in the 16th century, that the, the, the men and women who claim, came back to this truth. Because it's so easy to get sidetracked into wanting to do better, to prove ourselves to God. And so the Reformation crystallised the idea of sola fide, saved by faith alone. That is how we can be made right with God. Listen to this quote from John Calvin about the nature of true faith. He says, It is therefore, a, therefore faith alone which justifies. And yet the faith which justifies is not alone. Just as it is the heat alone of the sun which warms the earth, and yet in the sun it is not alone because it is constantly conjoined with light. It is therefore faith alone which justifies, and yet the faith which justifies is not alone. And he gives us this picture of the sun. I love it. You don't get the sun warming the earth without also the sun lighting the earth. And what Calvin's saying there is, it is we are saved by faith in Jesus alone, but that faith is never alone. It always comes with what he calls works or actions and good deeds. We're saved by faith, but then it results in doing the good works which God has planned in advance for us to do. Works must flow from faith in the same way that a waterfall must lead to a stream or a river of some description. And so James gives us two examples. What does that look like? Remember, James is writing to Christians who have converted primarily from, from Judaism. And so they would have known these two individuals. The first one, Abraham, the patriarch, the founding father of the faith. And James tells us, in an, an astonishing act of obedience, Abraham, the man called by God, chosen by him to be a father of a great nation, is called to sacrifice his beloved son. Abraham, who only gained this child in his old age. Abraham and Sarah had no children, and yet God promised that through them they would become a great nation. And it was through this child born at a miraculous well, the parents' age was miraculous. Isaac comes along. And then God says to Abraham that he's to sacrifice Isaac. What is the evidence, James says, that Abraham was right with God? That he truly believed? Well, the evidence is that he walked up the mountain with his son. The one whom he loved, the, 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 the very sort of flesh of God's promise. 
and he walks up the mountain with him and he takes the wood. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 22. And he ties him to the altar. And Hebrews tells us that he reasoned that God would raise him from the dead because God had promised that through this child he would make for himself a great nation. So Abraham believed and he obeyed. And James says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. There are two key words there. His faith was made complete and the scripture was fulfilled. Abraham, in in Genesis 15, we're told that Abraham believed and it was credited to him, counted as righteousness because he believed God's promises. But here we are, years down the line, and now that faith is maturing. It's growing and it's being proven when James talks about here about the the considered righteous that same phrase that Paul uses in Romans here James is saying here's the evidence here's the evidence that Abraham had true faith because he obeyed God decades after God's calling on his life decades after believing Abraham, here he is as an old man. He's not fallen into a workless faith. No, in fact, his deeds have become more pronounced. This was the ultimate act of obedience, the ultimate act of faith. Because it was putting on the line all that God had promised in the person of the, the, the child who he loved most in the world. And he believed. And he acted. And then God provided a ram so that Isaac didn't need to be sacrificed. It's an incredible story. You might want to read more of it in Genesis 22. Brothers and sisters, especially you who have followed Jesus for a long time. James holds up this example of Abraham. Who pursues even greater good works after all that God has done for him at the start he goes on and obeys and adds good works will you continue to pursue a faith that achieves don't settle will you allow the promises of God to become even more prominent in your decision making just like Abraham does. But notice the second witness that James brings before us, Rahab. Abraham was a patriarch. Rahab, we're told, is a prostitute. She's so different to Abraham in many ways. She's not one of the chosen people. She wasn't a part of the family. She's not a man. She's not upstanding. In fact, it's almost the complete opposite to Abraham. He was rich. 
He had many servants, many possessions and much wealth. She found that the only way she could make ends meet and put food on the table was to sell her body for the pleasure of others. And yet she too is given to us as a wonderful example of true faith. Let me read verse 25 again to you. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Do you notice that little word, even? I don't think that, Rahab, uh, that James is looking down on Rahab. I think he's exposing how other people might see her. People from a Jewish background would have gone, oh, Abraham, yes, we want to follow him. And James is going, let me give you an example of true faith. Let me show you that true faith is not about the outward appearance. Let me show you Rahab, an outsider, a woman, a prostitute. And she is a glorious example of true faith in action. Joshua chapter 2 tells us her story. As the people of Israel have been given the land that God had promised to them. She's in the land. She's one of the people that God is, is going to remove and destroy. And yet she hears the stories about what God has been doing. How he has rescued his people from Egypt. How he has performed miraculous signs and wonders. How he's undefeatable. This God of this small people seems to be unstoppable. And we're told in Joshua 2, she believes. She believes that he is not just the God of, of that people, but he's the God of, of everything and everywhere, of, of heaven and earth. And as she reflects on that God, as she hears about what he has done, she goes, that God could save me. That God, with his character and his power and his love and his compassion, he could save me. And so she in an act of what could only be described as treason against her people. When the spies come into, into her city to scout it out, she hides them. And she throws her lot in with God. She lies about their whereabouts and she pleads for mercy. She knows how this story turns out. The God of Israel wins. And she says, I want to be on the winning side. Please let me be on the winning side. James says, show me your faith and I will show you my faith by works. He says, I'll show you Rahab who throws it all in on a God of a foreign people because she just knows he's the God who wins and he's the God who is good. She risks her life and is saved because she trusts in God. Her faith is worked out as she takes the spies and hides them on her roof. And whilst the example of Abraham is many years into his walk with God, the example of Rahab comes from the first chapter of her story in the Bible. She believes in the God who can save, and so at the first opportunity, she acts. This is what true faith looks like from the very beginning it acts, it responds. To the God who has revealed himself. And so this is the call to any who are here today or watching at home. 
If you, if your heart has testified to you the reality and the truth about this God who has revealed himself primarily in Jesus, the God who is good and the God who saves and the God who wins, then the starting point for that heart faith is then to to act. It's to turn to him and to trust in him, to ask for forgiveness, to turn from what the Bible calls your sin, your rejection of him, doing life your way and turning to him and saying, I will follow you. Abraham and Rahab at different points in their lives One acts and saves others. One is going to act and sacrifice the one that he loves. Although God steps in. That was never God's plan for Isaac to be sacrificed. He was testing Abraham's faith. True faith acts from beginning to end. This is the nature of true faith. This is... What James has described in the previous chapter as the implanted word working its way out. It's a seed planted in a person that grows out into good works, into good fruit. Believing changes our living. Believing in Jesus changes us into living like him. So let me go back to my headline, pursue a faith that achieves. Because that's what implicitly James is doing here, by giving us these examples. He's wanting his readers and he's wanting us to go after that sort of faith. He wants us to read of Abraham's faith and Rahab's faith and go, that's amazing. He wants us to act like them. That's why he puts them in front of us. And he's desperately keen that we do not fall into false faith. As we close, let me turn back to the words of Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, just in case we think that James is going too far, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, the day that Jesus returns, the the day at the culmination of all things, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. And James finishes this section. He says, faith without works is dead, like a body without a spirit. Be warned. But faith with works is a wonderful, glorious thing. It is fitting and it is filling. And, and I think this is the thing that struck me the most... It's, it's what God is like. When James quotes this person having the argument, and he says to them, 
You believe that there is one God. Good. He's pointing us to the nature of God. A God who is ultimately a God of integrity. The Lord is one in his nature and in his purpose. He does not change. There is no difference between his character, who he truly is, and his actions and his words. And what James is laying out before us here is a call to pursue that sort of integrity. We believe in Jesus and therefore we are going to act like Jesus. We are going to love and be kind. We are going to be sacrificial. We're going to work it out. We're not just going to be about words. There is an utter integrity between what God says and how God acts and who God is. And God is producing a people through his gospel who are like that. Who have utter integrity through what we say and how we live. And if we act like that, if we have that sort of integrity, it will stand out like a country mile in this world. I've wrestled all week with how much I should talk about Partygate and Boris Johnson. And, but I don't need to go there. I don't need to. I, we can go anywhere in this world. And if we act like this, we will stand out. And people will say, why are you different? And we'll be able to say, because of God. Because we have known the one who has stepped into this world and has had utter integrity in all he has said and done. And he has loved us and he is changing us. And can we tell you about him? Come and hear about Jesus. In a world of counterfeits, the church will be true. We're going to pray. Father, we want to have that integrity. And we have acknowledged that we do not always have it. And so we pray that you would be at work in us, convictors of sin. Lord, we repent, we turn from it. And we pray that through your spirit, you would produce in us, Lord, works that are pleasing to you, that do good in your world and that are reminiscent of Jesus. Father, where there is material need, would you show it to us and would you compel us to meet it? Father, where we need to obey like Abraham, even though it seems utterly crazy to everybody else. Lord, give us the eyes to see your commands. Give us the hearts that understand your commands and give us the will to obey your commands. And Father, where we need to act like Rahab, Lord, give us revelation of your character. Give us insight into our own circumstances that we might do good to others and that we might know the reward of doing what is right in your sight. That our lives may indicate that you are the Lord of heaven and earth. Lord, that in you there is no shadow of turning. That you are today good in every way. And yesterday you were good in every way. And tomorrow you will be good in every way. 
Father God, would you use us so that others might come to know you? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.